Our Bible reading is going to be from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32, so if you can find that. As we begin this series, obviously is a person who's, who's... Uh, love has been since childhood for the film The Wizard of Oz. The phrase that has been running through my head has been the one that runs throughout that movie, there is no place like home. There is no place like home. And home, simply by definition, is that place where we live. But I think beyond that academic definition, we could say that home is a place where we belong. And no matter how wonderful and no matter how exciting other places that we we visit or we get to stay are, there is nothing like coming back home where we are at a place of peace and, and ease and where we are in a place where we are settled and we have comfort, a place where we have security and belonging. Only when we are home do we have all of those things. And the good news for us this morning is that you are invited to return home. You are invited to return home to God. For in God there is no place like home. And here I want to just point out to you that God is home. God is home. Moses wrote a while ago in Psalm 90 verse 1 these words, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. The Hebrew word for dwelling place is refuge. It's a place of security. It's a place of of comfort. The image the Old Testament gives us too is under the wing of the mother bird. It's a habitation that's free from from attack. It's a home. And Moses says, Lord, you have been our home throughout all generations because you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And for those of us in this generation who are looking for home, those words still ring true. God is our home as we seek for a place of security and stability, as we we long to be in a place of peace and dependability, as we desire to be in a place of joy and belonging, all of those traits which maybe we get a taste of in the best of our functional homes here on earth, they are only found in the constancy of our eternal God. The great philosopher, right, Pascal, said the famous quote that most of us know by now, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by the Creator. And until we find our home in God, we are always going to be walking with a backpack on our back, heading down the road, looking for home. Like a square peg cannot fit in a round hole, any place, anything, 
anywhere else other than God that we may find in this world will never satisfy that longing, that belonging, that desire for home until we place it in our God. Because our God has been our dwelling place through all generations and will continue to be our dwelling place. Because friends, there is no place, no place like home. So how about you? Can you say today that you are at home in God? Is your home found in God? Jesus talks to us about finding our home in God in the parable here in Luke chapter 15. Hear these words of Jesus, Luke 15, starting with verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in, that the, whole, in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went, and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to a census, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while his, he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he, is, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But then this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home and you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, 
and was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think the clear emphasis that Jesus has uh, puts forward in this parable is the simple truth that we've been talking about this morning, and that is that some of us have left home. Some of us have left home in God, and I want us to think about that this morning. And some of us, as Jesus gives this parable, is pointing out to us that some of us have left home and left God much like the younger son. We've left home like the younger son. The parable opens with the younger son saying to his father, Father, give me my share of an estate. It's a concise sentence, but it would have been a shocking sentence to those who first heard it. They would have been appalled to hear that this younger son said that. Because what is he really asking for here? He's asking, Father, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead because I want my share of the inheritance now. I look at you and all I, all I see is money. That's all I want from you, that's it. And I wish you were dead. The community would have been appalled. The shame that this brought on the father was at a, a level that nobody would have even considered. This was just out of the realm of possibility. But here comes the disrespect, the public humiliation, the disgrace to the father. And the reflex you would think of the father would be like, forget you, son, until you apologize, until you, can, until you can look at me like you should and value me as you should, you're gone. You're out. You're the one who was dead to me. I'm not dead to you. You're dead to me. But that's not what happens. In a little sentence, it says the father gave his share, he divided the property between them. Now, we could have a very technical discussion here on New Testament inheritance laws, but I don't think anybody wants to have a technical discussion on New Testament inheritance laws. But all I'm going to say about this is, based on Deuteronomy 21:17, we know that the younger son would be entitled to one-third of the estate and the older son two-thirds of the estate. We also know that the father did not uh, relinquish the estate because he's there at the end with the house and with the fields and all of that. So either he gave his son a payout of what the estate would have been worth, or the father did sell the estate, but the new owner would not get uh, um, occupation of it until the father passed away. Any of those details is really not all that important to the story. The important thing is, is that the son gets his money. He gets his share of the estate. That's what Jesus wants us to see. And then he says that the son leaves home. And, well, that's the, uh, that would be the new living, living, living translation of it. He blows it. But yes, that is exactly what happened here. Not long after that, he got to the distant country. And in the words of the scripture... It says he squandered his wealth on wild living, i.e., he blows it. 
we don't know where he went. He, he went to a distant country. Uh, we see that he probably had uh, Babylon uh, he could go to in the east. He could head to uh, Asia Minor in the north. He could head over to, he could head over to Italy and Greece uh, to, the, to the east, to the west, and he could head down to Egypt or Africa in the south. We don't know where he went, a distant country. But what we do know is that at this time, what reigned throughout this entire area, which was now under the control of Alexander the Great, and we have the Roman Empire, is something that you probably learned about in middle school, uh, what would we call it, middle school history class, Hellenism. Hellenism. Hella is simply the word, Greek word for Greek. And so it means the Greek, Hellenism is the Greek way of life. And so what Alexander the Great uh, proceeded to do is to infuse his old, whole empire with the Greek way of life. Everybody in my empire is going to think like a Greek, is going to have the values of a Greek. We're going to have the same religion as the Greeks. We're going to have the same political system as the Greeks. It is going to be Greek thinking through and through, and that was Hellenism. So we know that wherever he went, because in his little enclave where he lived, in his little northern part of the Sea of Galilee, which we talk about a lot, that was an area that was focused on faith and on family and on community. But as he went to a far-off country, boom, he's heading towards a land filled with this Hellenism. And Hellenism, at its core, is humanism. And humanism means it's all about me. It's what I want, what I desire, what my pleasure is, what I feel like doing. It sounds a little bit like today, doesn't it, in our world? It's all about me and my desires. And so there would be no problem as he heads out into this Hellenistic country to be able to squander his wealth on wild living. He could take all the money that he had and just spend it on his, his own pleasures, his own desires, his own wants. His, in fact, his older brother lobs the grenade like, well, he spent it all on prostitutes. So we get the idea of how this son is spending his money. He's blowing it. He's, he's wasting it. I mean, just imagine here that we took a, a sort of a, a rebellious teenager guy living in the middle of Pennsylvania, Amish country, and we loaded him up with a million dollars and flew him to Las Vegas. What kind of life would he experience there, and what would he spend his money on? That's what's going on here. And so this young son, he spends the money, he runs out, and at the same time a famine happens, he's in need, he turns his attention, he's like, I gotta do something to, to feed myself. So he hires himself out to a farmer, and he goes to feed pigs. Could that be any worse for a young Jewish boy? to have to feed what God says is unclean, but there he is feeding what is unclean. And not only does he want to feed what is unclean, he wants to eat what they're eating because he is so hungry, but nobody will give him anything. And he's standing there in the field, in a far off country, in the mud, feeding pigs, nothing to his name. He's a long way from home, isn't he? He came a long way from home. 
And just maybe some of us are in that story of the younger son today. That we went as far and as fast from this Christian thing. Oh, you could be here for some reason or another, but to be honest, the the practical way you live your life is that you are valuing and loving and desiring and finding your home in the things of the world. That's where life is found. That's where home is found. It's not in this church thing. It's not in that religion. It's not none of that. It's not there. It's there. That's where it is. That's where I find my home. And so I'm going after the, the, my home is in the popularity. If I just, I can settle there. My, my home is in, in the wealth of, of the world that's there. My home is in the sexuality of the world. That's where I find myself at home. And there's all kinds of places that we can go out into this world. And we go, that's where my home is. This is, if you will, I think this is like um, in, the, in the story of the Pilgrim's Progress. This is uh, Christian making his way uh, into the city of Vanity Fair. And there in Vanity Fair, everything, every des- desire, every lust of the heart, everything that, that is contrary to the will and ways of God can be found there day or night and it can be enjoyed. I think this is some of us seeking as, as Edmund does in the Chronicles of Narnia. He turns his back on Aslan. Instead, he says, you know what I want? I want that Turkish delight that the, that the white witch will offer me. This is those of us listening to the voice of the deceiver just like he did with Eve and said, did God really say that? He doesn't know what he's talking about. Home is out there. Go. Enjoy it. And find it. That's the place where you need to live. That's the place where you need to settle. Would that be you today? Could you find yourself in that story? That if you really push came to shove, you'd have to be honest and say, yeah, that's what I'm living for. I'm living for the things of the world. I'm living for the ways of the world. I'm enduring some of this Christian stuff because I have to, but I'm gone. I'm out there. That's what I want. Could you be in that story? Some of us might find our story not in that one, but in the older brother. The older brother who has also left home. Well, Bob, what are you talking about? He didn't leave home. He's right there with the father. He's out in the field. He's doing his stuff. He's there. What do you mean that he... No, he left home. I mean, just look at this older brother. If you look at his actions, you look at his attitudes, you look at his words, you can see that, yeah, maybe physically, he's there with the father in the father's estate, but he doesn't love the father. He's not devoted to the father. He hasn't found his home with the father. I mean, look at the very beginning of this parable. It said, the younger son said to the father, give me my share of the estate. At that moment, it was the responsibility of the older brother to step in and say, hold on now, buddy, younger brother of mine, you are out of line. Father, don't worry about this. I will deal with it. You shamed our father. That is out of line. 
You can't do that. But did he step in? Did he step into his role? No, he didn't. He just stood back there silently and quietly and did nothing. And I would argue the reason that he did it is for that next line, the father divided the property between them. He just got two-thirds of the estate. He just sat back there. I'm in this relationship with the father for a transactional, what I can get out of it. And what can I get out of it? Two-thirds of the estate. So I'm not, I'm not stepping in for the father. I'm going to get my money. And we also see that at the end of the story when he hear, comes in from the field, right? He's out there working. He's doing his thing. And he hears, he hears what's going on. And we are told that he refuses to go in. That's an insult to the father. He should have went in. He should have been there front and center, hosting the party, celebrating his brother, loving the things that his father loves. But he doesn't. He says, I am not going in. And he throws shame on his father, and it says his father had to go out to him. And then his father had to plead with him. We see his actions there, that he's very self-centered, that he's in this for what the Father will give him. And when he doesn't get it, he gets upset. And look at his words to the Father. Oh my goodness. Verse 29, look, with an exclamation point. Can you just imagine this coming out of him? Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me one young goat to eat with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home, who squandered your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf right in the middle of a famine, and you give it to him. Because where's the fatted calf coming from now? It's coming out of his share of the estate. It's coming out of his resources. You're taking my money. Father, what do you, look. I've, aren't those strong words? I've slaved for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Do you see the relationship he's got going on here? There's no love. There's no devotion. He is like, I am here for one thing and one thing only, what I can get from you. And when I don't get it, I'm pretty teed off about it. I've been loyal. I've been sticking it in. I've been out in the fields. I've done everything you've asked me to do. Could you maybe be in that story today? That you're here? Oh, and you come, and you do the things of God, but you don't really enjoy doing the things of God. You don't love coming to worship, but you come, because I have to. You don't love picking up your Bible to know God's heart and who he is, but I read it because I have to. Do you have this relationship with God that you're just sort of a grind, that you're just going through it because at the end of the day, well, I want to go to heaven. At the end of the day, I believe if I do these things, if I worship-ish, if I give-ish, if I serve-ish a little bit, then, then, then God will bless me a little bit. Are you in a transactional relationship with God rather than a loving, devoted relationship with him? Could that be you today? 
Because as soon as God doesn't, doesn't do it, you're teed off. How can I get sick, God? This isn't fair. How could you do this, God? All these years, do you know how many times I've been to worship God, and yet my family, there's discomfort in my family, there is pain, and in my family, there is trouble? God, what kind of God are you? Could you be far from home like the older brother in this story? I think that's where Jesus is is pushing us. And maybe you find yourselves in one of those stories, and if not one of those stories, maybe the Holy Spirit is, is kind of putting you somewhere in between those two stories. And you're sitting here going, you know what? If I'm honest, I'm not finding my home in God. If I'm honest, God is not my home. If that's you today, then I want to turn your attention to the words that Jesus gives us about the younger son. The younger son is standing there far from home in that mud, feeding pigs as hungry as he can, can be. And what does the younger son say to himself in 17? It says, when he came to his senses. When he came to his senses, the younger son had an awakening. He had an awakening. It's like, oh my goodness, my father has a fabulous home. My father's home is awesome. It is incredible to be able to be with my father. In fact, the slaves who work for my father have it better than I do. And God, it would be better just to be a slave at my father's home than where I am now. And he has this awakening. And friends, that's the first step. We need to have an awakening. An awakening to our condition, to where we're at, and to be honest and say, I am not home with God. I am not at home with God because of this, because of this, because my heart is here, my heart is there. And we have that awakening that I am not at home with God. This life has not turned out how I thought it would. These things have not delivered as they promised. I continue to be frustrated. I continue to be discontent. I continue to be walking depression. I continue to be anxious. And, and, and the list goes on and on that we have this awakening that I'm in a place that is far from home. And then what does he do? He has that awakening in verse 20. It says, so he got up and went to his father. He got up and went to his father. Not only did he awaken to his condition, he changed course. The Hebrews have a word for this. They call it teshuva. Teshuva, which means to turn around. To turn around, teshuva. I've been walking away from home Oh my goodness, I'm standing here in the mud far from God. Oh, the solution, Teshua, turn around and go back home. Go back to the Father. That's Teshua, to turn around. Jesus used the word repent in the New Testament. Repent. And if you notice in Mark, what is it? I think it's Mark. Um, 1, 15, 
Mark 1.15, soon as Jesus begins his ministry, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is here. God is here. You can have home with God. Here's God. And Jesus could have said anything. He could have said love. He could have said feed people. He could have said reconcile. All these words that people like to say that we have to do, be about as Christians. But what did Jesus say was the very first word. He said, repent. Number one thing Jesus said, repent. Because you're going the wrong way. And your home is only found in God, teshuva. Turn around and walk with God. And what we see in this story, and we are going to unpack this next week. So you got to come because it's going to be good. We, I couldn't squeeze all of the Father into this message. So you have to come next week. But what we do see because we got to talk about it a little bit today. But next week's going to be great. We're going to, what we do see is that the father here, what did the father do? He was filled with compassion and he was waiting with his arms wide open for the son. Soon as the son turned around and came back home, that father who at the very beginning should have said, you disowned me, you disgraced my name, you should be out of here, you are dead to me. The father didn't say that, did he? Soon as that son turned around and came back home, the father was, yeah, there you are, my son, boom. And that's what John reminds us of in the scriptures in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, if we turn around, God is faithful and just and will forgive us of all our sins. And then John, he continues in, in John, 1 John 3, 1, he says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Oh, see that, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Oh, that's our God. That's our Father. Can you see where we're going next week? you got to be here. This is good stuff. And so the son heads back to Shuvah, to God, to home. And that's what we need to do. If we find ourselves far from home today, the good news is turn around. It's never too late. The Father is always there with his arms wide open for you. That's our pathway home. That's your pathway home today. But what about the older son? Jesus doesn't really give a good ending to this story. Doesn't Jesus know how to tell parables? He doesn't wrap this up very well. The father and the older son have this exchange. And we never know what the older son decided to do. The father left with the door wide open for the older son to come home. But Jesus didn't tell us what he did. Because I think that's where Jesus wants us to live in this story. Right there. Pondering that. What would I do? What am I going to do? Am I going to go back home? Jesus wants you to be in this story and ask yourselves that question. My father is home. My father is the place where I need to be. 
His arms are wide open for me. And so today, if I find that I am not at home with him, then I need to return and head back home. I'm just going to stop, and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do some work. I'm just going to allow you and God to have some time as you consider that question, as you think about this parable, as you think about where you are today, and am I at home with God? Father, we've listened to these words of Jesus, which were true then and are true today, which live then and are alive today. And Father, I just pray now for your spirit to come and speak to us, that we would hear your still small voice in this place, in your house. And God, what do we need to do? What awakening do we need to have? What actions do we need to put to our feet so that we could come and be back home with you in this day and in this hour and in this generation?